Okay, we are discussing which principle? Eight, six, seven. Well, we, we've kind of, you know, between six and eight, there is seven. So six was that there are people with heightened intellectual and sensory abilities, or sorry, and, and character, and they are able to attain truth in a way that most of us never do, known as prophecy, yes? And really what's happening, at least in the Raman's view, is that their minds are plugging in to the knowledge of the supernal angels, um, what he calls the active intellect. But then we're speaking about how Moshe is the ultimate prophet, um, and he achieved the highest level of prophecy possible. He achieved the level, he comprehended the level of the angels, he attained their level, Okay, and the Ram goes on at length about this. So what we're going to do, like I said yesterday, is we're going to go through the text. Um, some points I will elaborate on, and some points I will brush over. Okay. There, so we're going to start with the, on page 37, on the left side, the last paragraph. There remains no veil that he did not rend. Nothing hindered him, no physical impediment impediment, nor any spiritual shortcomings, neither to a small or great degree. Okay. So let's take with the physical thing first. Is it true that one's physical body can affect one's mind? Therefore, if prophecy requires perfection of the mind... What follows from that it requires? Perfection of the body. At least in as much as the body can influence the mind. That makes sense? Now, it is an open question to what degree that perfection of the body um, influences the mind. Like what, what would, to what degree that would be the case. I'm going to say two things. Um, one is uncontroversial, one is extremely controversial. And then we'll just leave it at that. I think most of us understand that if a person is physically ill... Right, that affects their mental state, right? their ability to focus, their ability to concentrate. Right? What about if a person is physically appealing versus ugly? I think that's more controversial to say that an ugly person being ugly somehow affects their mental state. Um, it seems incoherent. There are definitely sources in our tradition that nonetheless that is the case. That while it is not true, and this is an important point, it is not true that being physically appealing, right, being uh, necessarily translates in good character or heightened um, mental abilities. The reverse is true. That if someone who has heightened mental abilities and good character, but they are physically ugly, that, does, that can create some kinds of inhibitions. That's a discussion in Judaism. And it is an open question to what the Rambam is referring to. You could argue one way, but there are definitely sources. This is one of the reasons why, for instance, our sages point out that the, um, um, how, that the Torah makes a big deal about how the, the, um, certain people in the Tanakh looked, the foremothers, um, Shaul HaMelech, King, King Saul. There's this discussion. So on one hand, there's things that are clearly obvious. There's things that are more controversial. There's a range of things in the middle. Okay, so... But the point is here is that whatever, whatever would be an impediment from the physical side on the mental side would have to be perfect with regard to Moshe. Okay. 
Um, nor any spirit of the spiritual shortcomings. So what are spiritual shortcomings? Those would be character problems. Now, this is an important idea. The Rambam writes very clearly that you do not have to have perfect character to be a prophet. Does anyone know of an example of a prophet that did not have perfect character? Bilam. Well, let's think of the whole Bilam. 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 One second. Here it says he did have perfect character. Noah. Or not Noah, sorry. Yeah, the... Wasn't it Joe? The one in the whale. That would be Yonah. Yonah. Wasn't yeah. he a prophet? He was a prophet. He, he doesn't he... seem to have very good character because he runs away from God's uh, prophecy. Right? God tells him to do something and he, he yeah. runs away from that. So that, that's, that's a good example. I feel like if you end up in a whale, generally speaking, that's a little problem. Yes. Um, the one that I was thinking of was Elijah Eliyahu. God actually tells him that he's firing him because he's, he's too overzealous. He, he's, he, 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 yeah. Have you heard of this tradition that Eliyahu, Elijah the prophet, comes to every um, seder and every bris? Why does he do that? Because he does. Because he told God, I alone am faithful to you and I alone serve you. And God, and God told him, no, 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 calm down. And after God like, goes through a whole elaborate demonstration to get him to calm down, what does he say? God, I alone remain of those who are loyal and faithful to you. And God's like, okay. Final mission, one of us who find a successor, and then our tradition is at that point, God made him go to every Seder night and every bris ceremony to see that the Jews are loyal to God throughout all of history and he should get off his high horse. It's a kind of punishment for him. It's kind of a punishment for him, yeah. Now, there's other, meaning, there's other meanings to it as well, but I'm bringing out the one explanation that's relevant to the topic at hand. And so Eliyahu was, I mean, it's very clear from, from, from the scripture that he is, he is, seem to have a bit of a, a rash to judgment type of thing. Okay? One of the reasons why our sages compare him to Pinchas, um, who from previous story that we had about Pinchas um, killing the uh, Midianite princess and the, and the chieftain of the tribe of Shimon. Also was kind of a zealot. So, but the point is that, that it, those things inhibit the quality of prophecy. Well, that would mean... Right? So you, could, you don't have to have perfect character to be a prophet. You have to be above a certain threshold. But the imperfections in one's character do affect the quality of the prophetic knowledge. And so therefore, if Moshe achieved the ultimate knowledge, he couldn't have had any character defects. Now, that does raise some questions because we do see Moshe getting angry and making a mistake and getting rebuked. So, well, couldn't he just be the best and no one can live up to him, but he's not no, because the, the, as, as we'll see later on, it's important to understand that the Rambam's framing of things is that there's like kind of slots. Like if you think of numbers, one, two, three, four. So there's God, and then there's the level of knowing below God, and that's the first angel. And the level of knowing below that is second angel, and then da, 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 da. And so if you are not at that first highest slot, your prophetic knowledge is going to have to be mediated through an angel. And he was going to go on to elaborate is that that's not what happened with Moshe. Oh. He, he achieved the maximum that is capable of being achieved. And one can argue that this is talking about a different stage in Moshe's life, but th- there's an interesting question, because we do find in the story of Moshe um, that he does seem to get angry um, and make mistakes, um, which would appear to be character defects. Mm-hmm. But as they say in Hebrew Tzarechi, and this requires further analysis. Yes? But if, so, if it's like saying, if we're talking about like the mind and like body and like spirit like being perfect, then how... Kind of like like Erica was saying, how like Moshe maybe like was like the best, but wasn't perfect. But then you're saying no. But then there's the whole thing about 
like motion not being able to speak clearly? Would that be? Right. So I said one of the ways of explaining that is that his is that that has to do with his ability to communicate with others, not about his own functionality. Right. Okay. Yeah. But then, isn't that still like? Because remember, it's perf- It's not. I mean, we're not saying that Moshe was the strongest person who ever lived. We're not even saying Moshe was necessarily um, the most generous person who ever lived, right? We're, it's the, those things that affect this faculty, right? So in as, that's what I'm saying, in as much as the body affects. Now, does personal appearance affect? Well, maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. There's, there's some discussion of that in our tradition. If you think it does, then he would have to be physically perfect in that sense as well. But in the same way as that, communicated, it's basically communicating with that has nothing to do with you and God. Well, not necessarily. Not necessarily. There, there, are, there are ideas that, on the contrary, that, that the more one develops one's internal sense, the more difficult it has become to communicate because communication requires commonality. Yeah. Yeah, so sure. okay. there's discussion. It's a, no, it's, bringing it up is a fair point, but it doesn't, it doesn't like undermine everything. It just means that there's more nuance to what's being said. Okay. Okay. Um, his power of imagination or all aspects of the power of sensation were, ne- were negated entirely. Okay, so to understand the, f- the rest of this, we need to understand that the Rambam Maimonides following uh, what was generally understood in, as a basic way of breaking down the human soul, that there's five general categories or general powers of the soul. Okay, one is called the power of imagination. We spoke about that yesterday, right? That's the power to recreate within your own consciousness sights, sounds, smells, right? Then there's what's called the power of sensation, which is our actual sense perception. So sensation is the ability to see and imagination is to, is to recall what it looks like. Okay? Sensation is the ability to smell and imagination is the power to recall what it smells like. And by the way, if you're recalling what something looks like and what something smells like, you can mix them together. You can recall what something smells like and what something else looks like and put them together and imagine like a horse that smells like roses, even the horses. That's right. It's because your intellect is not getting involved in telling you um, that's not going to work very well. So what happened to Moshe's power of imagination and power of sensation? Didn't have it? That's right. That's what it says. How he knows that that's a different question, but that's what the Rambam says. That's what the text says. So could Moshe see? What does the text say? He couldn't see. Could he hear? No. Could he smell? No. Mm, interesting. Let's continue. That makes no sense. It makes no sense or you don't understand it? I don't, I don't understand because then, because it goes, because it feels too similar to God. Why? Because, like, God doesn't change God's perfect, so God doesn't have, like, these, like, sensations. Or it, it be, Angels it also don't have these. One second, one second, one second. But that's not unique to God. Angels also don't have to see. So then is Moshe yes, an angel? He's almost so, such well, a let's go back. that he doesn't need to see. End of the previous paragraph. He comprehended to the little angels. So what makes Moshe unique is that he existed... On the le- as, a, as, a, as a conscious being on the level of angels, even though he inhabited a physical body. body. Yeah. So he didn't need the faculties of sensation. Right, right. In other words, we give you a simple analogy, okay? A simple example, not analogy. 
Everyone see the marker? Yeah? Okay? No. You're going to do a magic trick. You're going to do a magic trick. Okay? What color is the marker that I'm holding? Blue. Do you see it? Do you see it? No. You're employing a principle called object permanence, which is that if something exists, it continues to exist unless something would actively change it, right? And they're also called a concept called property permanence, which is that if it has a property, that property, in as much as it's stable, should persist unless something changes it, right? So you are relying on your intellect rather than your sensation to come to the knowledge that the marker is still there and is blue. That's right. You needed to work off of sensation first, right? So if I ask you how you know the marker is blue, sensation. How you know the marker is still blue, intellect. intellect. See the difference? Mm -hmm. Okay. So Moshe just gets all the information from God, nothing. He just sees without seeing. That's right, right. So if he's sitting in front of you talking to you, he knows you're there. And what you're saying. But he knows it from the intellect. And he knows what you're saying from the intellect. I think this, yeah. That's right. No, not because his... They for no, 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 years. not no, no, no. That's funny, actually. That's very funny. I'm stealing that, by the way. Next time I teach this, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to use that. Um, the um, no, I mean, think about this. By the way, there's a lot of stuff that you don't see. Right? For instance, um, uh, um, anybody here type? Anybody play a musical instrument? Yeah. Do you look to see what's going on? No. no, right? You have kind of an internal sense of, of where your body is and muscle memory. There's other ways of knowing things. The point is that, that awareness of reality wasn't being processed through the physical senses anymore. Now, that's not because his body didn't work. That was because his, his psyche, his soul, his conscience, whatever you want to put it, had risen to a level where it was being filled with knowledge directly rather than having to process the sensory inputs. And think about it, right? Our consciousness is limited. So if it's being totally absorbed with one thing that comes at the expense of? All Right? There was no room left for his consciousness to experience imagination or sensation because he was totally plugged into the truth. Wow. Didn't we say that imagine, like the ultimate... Prophets. ...is when the imagination serves the intellect? That's right. Hold that question. Yes, we did say that to be a prophet, you need to have excellent imaginative faculties, right? Because the imagination helps scaffold the intellect, represents the things to you, right? Okay, hold the question. You know what I think my problem is? What's up with angels? Like, what are they? That's a fair question. Okay, there are different views of angels. I will give you the Rambam's view of angels. Okay. Okay? The Rambam's view of angels is that if you were to take the idea of a conscious being and the conscious being is aware of things that are true and that conscious being because aware of things are true is, has an influence okay so the first one of these beings is aware of God right mm-hmm. but he's not aware of God to the degree that God is aware of God Knowledge of God is not the same as God's knowledge of God. Mm-hmm. But he's aware of God. And that awareness of God is kind of the totality of their being. They have no body, no other things. And that, oh, and, but there is a, but ha, he, that, he, it, it's not really, they're not really gendered. Has a, has an influence. And the influence 
much like a teacher can convey knowledge to a disciple, is that produces another consciousness which has awareness of God. But now their awareness of God is not directly of God. It's awareness of God that's derived from the, the first angel. And there's a series of these. So angels are like con- conduits. Conduits. of consciousness from God. Right. So they're not... Con- right. So, they're con- so what happens is they're consciousnesses that are not God's consciousness, but they're conscious of God. And each one generates one that's lower than it. And there's, a, and there's like an actual... Like, and again, kind of like in mathematics, there's only limited number of places things could be. And then the lowest one is what's called the active intellect, which is the consciousness of God. And its influence is the structure of the physical world. And so that's what governs the laws of nature. Which is, so in some ultimate sense, it's God, but it's happening through this. Like physics is like the least of the angels. Physics is, a, is the lowest manifestation of the influence of the lowest angel. Yeah. Yes. Ethics would be a higher manifestation. Of the lowest angel, and so if you're a prophet, what ends up happening, he said, is that your intellect, your your intellectual faculty, is merging with that lowest angel. Mm-hmm. What's happening with Moshe is something very different. Oh, right. Okay. Now that's the Rambam's view of angels. It's very different than than other views of angels. Yeah, and like I said, because yeah. then there's like if they if they're just subconscious, they don't have a body. Correct. So then is when we say. Yaakov wrestled an angel. Is that like an argument? No. So, 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 so there's different views. The Rambam's view of that is that all the stories of angels in the Tanakh are either fit into one of two categories. Either they're pr- describing prophetic visions. And if I remember correctly, that's, I think he understands the prophetic vision. Don't quote me on that. Or they're referring to angels influencing people. Okay. Kind of possessing people yeah. to do things on behalf of God's, you know, ultimate intent. But angels don't actually physically take form. Um, now, uh, the Ramban, Nachman, these other great scholars disagree, and they have a differing view of angels. It, and you can reconcile these themes with their views as well, but just to not overcomplicate things, I'm just giving you that one view. Um, yeah. the, the technical term that he uses for them is, is called sichlim nivdalim, or transcendent intellects, or an or a, or a intellectual consciousness that's, that's devoid of any any bodily aspect. And that's like, that's, that's helpful for them, just like it's helpful for Moshe. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, they don't, they, they don't need to, yeah. So Moshe, even though he so, was still in a physical body, and we're talking about that in a second, is right. Now, by the way, there is a differing opinion other than the Rambam. This is the opinion of Rabbi Yehuda Levi, who wrote the famous work of the Kuzari. And his view is that Moshe actually is a categorically different kind of being than regular people. He says that God created five kinds of beings. Inanimate objects, plants, animals, people, and Moshe. His understanding is the differences we find between Moshe's function and everyone else are so different that we have to put them in a separate category. Um, the Rambam has a different take that, the, that represents the, the perfection of humanity. But it's interesting. Yeah. So I'm a little confused with the angel thing. So they're, they're conscious beings that have intellect and... They only have intellectual awareness. Oh, uh, intellectual awareness of God, and then they have angel babies that then have... It's not really babies. There's a key... It's not like... They it, it, it's They, like, duplicate themselves like a microorganism. It's like a lower <laughs> lower form of themselves. It's almost like the world. That's, okay. how, that's how my brain's seeing this. Angel one. Angel one. Okay. B, 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 B. 
Right? What follows from this is? Right? So these two things hold true. Right? Now that's an idea, right? Yeah? Okay. Now, can I use this idea to derive other ideas? You know what, if you can put right, that A, and A equals B and B equals C, it follows that A equals C. If I understand that, can I then use that to derive other ideas? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for instance, here's an idea. Yeah, oh, yeah this is like the best part of it. Yeah, the blue one works better. Makes me so sad. I imagine if you have working markers. Okay. If A is greater than B, and B is greater than C, it follows that A is greater. Okay. Do you see on some very basic, I'm not being rigorous, so anyone who studied logic is going to be very annoyed with me, but I don't really care. I'm just trying to illustrate this one. Do you see how this, in some sense, follows from this one? Uh -huh. Right? There's this notion of what's called the, the transitive property, that, yeah. that this relationship traverses over the B to the C. If you get that, then you're like, it's not really having anything specific to the equals. I, as long as these relationships are the same, Yeah. Anything goes there, right? Yeah, uh -huh. So you see how from one idea I can derive another idea? Uh -huh. So from one angel is derived another angel. It's not like procreation. Okay. Procreation is either. Like, do you remember what it was like before you came into being? No. No. Can you even conceive of what it was like without human being? No. No, right? That, that's a whole different thing, right? Parents create a new person. That person has a sense of being a reality unto themselves. It's a whole different thing. Uh-huh. So, so angels just... Appear the angels, well, yeah. with knowledge from their right. Angels. So, angels really, every angel, therefore, has kind of three levels to them the awareness of the angel or God from where they're derived, mm -hmm. right? An awareness of what defines them as the unique level they are, and a sense of what is derived from them. So, a sense of their antecedent, a sense of themselves, and a sense of what's derived from them. And it's all very abstract. The lowest angel sense of what's derived from him becomes the, the, the metaphysical basis of our world for everything from spirituality and ethics all the way down to like basic laws of physics. So it's basically just an intelligence that uh, like from God that then has that then has more intelligence that is derived from that intelligence but then the intelligence right. is restructured to fit what they came from and so it's not as clear? Like it, right, right. So it's right. It like decreases. It decreases, priority. right, right. Remember, I, I, someone asked me in the question and answer about the spheros, and I said about this concept about God being inherently good and his inherent truth and how it kind of flows down into the world and that you have to get that concept kind of before you talk about spheros. Are you seeing this concept embedded here? Like God, there's a certain truth to God's being, and then it comes into the world through a kind of... So that so that's what you have to understand is that when the Kabbalists speak about spheros, they're saying there's a level between God and the angels. And you have to think, of well, what's the categorical difference? We're not going to go there. Like the it's a well, well, the worlds then becomes a way of categorizing all of this. So, like, you have like like understanding the Rambam's notion of angels is almost like a prerequisite before you get to things like spheros and worlds and stuff like that. Okay. Okay, so I'm not. I don't want to go too much into it. But so a regular prophet, what's happening is they're like they're getting some sense of the underlying rules of reality themselves, rather than having to extract them from their experience of the world. But we're saying Moshe, no, somehow he brought his consciousness all the way up to be on the same level as 
the angels, and not just any angel. One of the middle ones. Not just one of the middle ones. The first one. The first one. Because if he what, as you'll see in a second, because if he's not on the first one, then what would have to be in between him and God? Another angel. That's right. So it has to, he has to be the top. Yeah. So then is he an angel? No, because he's a physical being in the physical oh, world. He's as close as to he, an angel that a physical being can be. But there's well, no... he's 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 in terms of his awareness of truth, he's equivalent to the highest angel. Unlike an angel, he is a being that lives in a specific space and time and inhabits a body. So all angels and physics are slightly dere- somehow derived also from motion, which is direct. Who is derived from God? Motion. The state of where motion brought it was able to bring his consciousness too. Yeah. Not Moshe's whole being. I mean, he was a person with free will to work to get to that place. I mean, they're just talking about his abilities. He, he worked to get to that place. By the way, I'd just like to point out, this is not like Hasidus. This is basic Judaism. Okay. <laughs> so when we start saying weird things about Siddiquim and Hasidus, it's not like coming totally out of left field. Um, not to say that uh, Hasidic Rebbe is the same as Moshe here. The point here is that Moshe is unique in this regard, as, as we're going to see. But... Okay, let's keep going. Um, the element that governs stimulation was overwhelmed. The, the, the stimulation means the um, instincts and desires and emotions. So here's the thing. Did Moshe have instincts, desires, and emotions? No. So here you get, notice he doesn't say they were negated. It says they were overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. So here's the thing. Um, I'm going to give you this as an analogy. What is the difference between the care of a doctor for the patient and the care of the parent of the patient? One is more elevated by love and one is more elevated by, like, concern. Okay. Parent isn't concerned? Well, not that they both can't have each other, but one is higher than the other. What do you mean? What's the difference between love and concern? I think love is, to have love, you have to know something more. Have a relationship with them. One just uses information from a textbook. All the same. So I, 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 I want to. I want to. I think. I want to take what you're saying and change change it a little bit. Um, maybe this is where it's just same thing in different words, but I want to use my words. Um, I think they're clear, and maybe we're case. They're both concerned. They're both motivated by concern in that case. Yeah. The difference is that one's concern is based on their personal relationship with the person. The other is based on values. The doctor has a value for the importance of human life. And it's that that's motivating the concern. The, the parent, yeah. Is it, I don't know if it's like value because it's like their job, like they're obligated. Like they choose to have that job and like under, like when they like, choose to have that job, they know they're obligated to do it. It's like when, like, someone that, like, was, like, a drunk driver came in and, like, killed a whole family and he's in bad shape and you still have to save him. It's like, I'm sure it's not that they want to so, so I want to be very clear. Whenever I use analogies, I'm talking about idealized versions of things because if someone is only treating the person because they're under legal obligation from their job, then um, I don't know that I want them treating me. Right? The, 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 as we create a legal and bureaucratic structure around ideals. So I agree with you that in real life that could be the case. But in principle, the idea is that the person values and, and they're, when they're taking those obligations because they believe in them. It could be in the moment. There's a moment of weakness in the legal obligation or the work procedures help bolster that but if that's all there is to it like you don't want a teacher who's just there because like well that's how they get a paycheck right yeah so I, 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 so point taken but going back to the, 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 the as as to get to the 
as an analogy for what, what we're getting at here. There's, an, there's a principle, the value of life, the value of life irrespective of whether the person's good or bad. And that's motivating them to, show, to feel concern. But that feeling is a different kind of feeling. It's just a drive to act. There isn't really all of the complexities of emotion there. Right? And that's why, by the way, we don't let close family members be surgeons on their, on their children or their parents or their siblings, right, or their spouses, etc. Why? Because as, as wonderful as that concern is, the emotionality of it, right, it, it conflates with, with process, with achieving the objective, right? So what kind, so s- stimulation is these instincts, these drives, these emotions, they, they motivate us to act. So if Moshe didn't have them, would he have acted? Would he have done anything? No. But was he having, did he have an emotional life? What happened is that his drive to act became merely a, just a derivative of the truth that he knew. He knew this is right, so he acted accordingly. There wasn't, it wasn't more complicated than that. All of the other messiness that we experience of I feel this way, I feel complicated, I, I want, but I don't want, and I, my instinct is pushing me this way, but my desires are pulling me the other way, right? That all was completely overwhelmed with the sense of truth that he had. And why would he say to God, like, no, not me, I'm not the best. So the, these, all these, all of these are discussed. There's different answers that are given. Um, Did he have that prophecy? So one, one simple answer is that we're talking about Moshe eventually achieved, and so earlier that that's a simple answer. Another answer that can be given is that is that sometimes objecting to God is manifesting truth because you see later on him objecting to God, as well, okay. right? Um, that God is not conducting the world in a, sufficiently way, in a sufficient way that reflects the truth of the divine, and therefore... So Moshe is telling God what God wants. Yeah. Okay. That, 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 Kabbalah like, jumps on that. That's a great thing for Kabbalah. Uh, okay, there, there's a, all of these... Sto- oh, I think it's very important. There's all the stories um, in, in, the, in the Tanakh, in the, in the scripture, have multiple ways of reading them, and depending on what your starting premises are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but by the way, the only time Moshe has ever rebuked by Hashem for doing something wrong is with the whole hitting the rock instead of speaking to the rock thing. It's never because he talks back to God as somehow now I'm going to punish you. God seems to take that in stride. So go figure. Um, Yeah. So the analogy is that basically like emotion can cloud decision making. Um, That's a consequence, but it's the emotion affects your experience of things. Uh-huh. Did Moshe have emotional experiences of things? No. No. But my question is, is then the ideal, like if Moshe is the ideal person, or like the, the most perfect person you can get, like, is that meaning that emotions are, are not valuable? Because I feel like they can be very valuable. Well, you have to differentiate between intrinsically valuable and functionally valuable. Most people, if they attempt to shut down their emotions, what happens? Do they become a higher level of functionality? Do they, exp- no. do they live high? No. So it actually what we need to do is to refine the emotions. Mm-hmm. However, the Rambam's view, and I will be honest, not everybody agrees with this. There's, there's deep criticisms where Behuda Levy, for instance, doesn't seem to hold of this idea, that ultimately emotions are a concession to the bodily nature of the human being. And if the human being can really rise above their bodily nature, they don't really need emotions. They can just be driven by the sense of truth. 
and Moshe would be the ultimate example of that. But if you attempt to imitate it without really being there, then, then you're just going to do a lot of damage to yourself and your, your family and your surroundings, your environment and your society. Don't do that. So the Torah is mostly about refining and elevating the emotions and having them be guided by a sense of values and truth. And maybe ultimately, in some very lofty cases, transcending the emotional experience altogether. Um, but again, that, um, there's, there's room to debate. Now you could also modify this, which is that if you start thinking about like showing emotion to others is a behavior. So some people need to feel cared for, right? Um, and if you think about this, for instance, a, 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 a professional therapist, um, not every type of therapy, this is true, but some, some types of therapy require showing compassion. But the compassion is not like the compassion of a surgeon, which just is, I care and have compassion for you because of the value, and therefore I'm going to do a physical act. Now you have to actually bring yourself into a, into a state of being that exudes a kind of empathetic energy for the person. And a good therapist can bring themselves to do that because it's what the patient needs. And by the way, a good parent can do that as well. So you can then say that it's not that emotion would come across to others necessarily as emotionless. If they needed it, it's just more internally, he's not being driven by any emotion. That the emotional thing is just becomes a conduit to manifest whatever the, the truth that he's aware of dictates. Now, what's important to realize is that all this is something he has to consciously choose to do and to maintain. It's not automatic. So he could choose to have emotions if he wanted to? I mean, let me ask you a question. If you're studying for an exam uh-huh. and you're like really deep in, in, your, in, in, in trying to like have clear all these complicated things for your test, right? Could you at any point stop and decide you just want to like sit down and like scroll on your phone? So it's up to you. There's a con- constant requires you to decide to have made some level of decision making to maintain that. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's important to realize that we're not saying Moshe was programmed this way or created this way. Maybe he had the potential, but this is something that he he has to choose to bring himself to the state and maintain that state. In that sense, I would think he could communicate perfectly with people when he chooses when he chose to and to see the world through his eyes and hear. And all the things that he, we say he doesn't do, well, he could just choose to do that if need be. Well, so the thing is like this. Just because, you're, just because you're full mastery over yourself doesn't mean you can do things that you can't do. For instance, okay, we're not saying that Moshe could necessarily... Like, like, for instance, does that... What he knew was the truths of things, but that doesn't necessarily... So he, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he could magically speak English, yeah, okay, right? Like, I, I, like, if you were to ask me, does this mean motion knew how to use a computer? I would say, no, it doesn't mean motion knew how to use a computer. Why would he know how to use a computer? Like, yeah. just, he's in touch with the ultimate truth. Like, it's a lot of steps from ultimate truth to, to figuring out what a computer is and how to use it. And why would he even, why would his mind even go there? Okay. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, th- there can still be limits. He's not God. It's just create ex nihilo things. Mm-hmm. All right. Um... All that remained was the power of intellect, meaning that was the only part of his consciousness he experienced. Concerning this is written that he spoke to God without the intercession of angels. So what's unique here is that every other prophet doesn't really get to this place because every other prophet, they're getting their knowledge via the flow through the angels. Mm -hmm. And Moshe is somehow able to circumvent all of that. Mm -hmm. At this point... I would like to get text on the next side of the page. I would like to elaborate a marvelous concept, which is, explains the inner meaning of the Torah's verses interpreting the phrase, mouth to mouth I speak to him, meaning directly. 
when um, the, the background to the story is that Miriam, Moshe's sister, and Aaron had a discussion um, regarding um, Moshe separating from his wife. Moshe, after um, he achieved prophecy, of Mount, the highest levels of prophecy of Mount Sinai, he separated from his wife and he moved out. Not everybody knew about this, but he moved out. Um, and there was an event where certain people achieved prophecy, two men named Eldad and Medad, and Moshe's wife, Zipporah, heard about this, and she says, I feel bad for their wives, because she was under the impression that once you become a prophet, you move out, um, which is not the case. And so Miriam finds out that Moshe moved out of the house, and she's like, well, I'm a prophet. Our brother Aaron, he's a prophet. He goes to Aaron, he's like, what's going on with Moshe? Why is he moving out of the house? You don't have to move out just because you're a prophet. You can still have a normal married life. Um, and then Hashem rebukes them for speaking against Moshe. And one of the things he says is that to differentiate between them and Moshe, even though they're prophets, is that he says, I speak to him mouth to mouth, meaning directly. Um, and the other concepts contain that verse. Um, he would, so the Ram would like to explain this. Nevertheless, I saw that these concepts are very abstract. They need lengthy explanation and many prefaces and analogies. First, it is necessary to explain the nature of the existence of angels on the different levels before God, which I did. Thank you. I did not. I did extremely, extremely brief. I didn't really explain it. I gave like kind of like a, you know, a one-minute overview of the idea. The scope of the discussion would then expand to touch on the forms the prophets have ascribed to the angels and to the creator. So in other words, now we'd have to then describe the metaphoric language we find that the prophets use describing the angels. Not enough to give a conceptual explanation, but why are the angels described as having wings? Why are the angels described as having um, wheels? Has anyone ever read the prophetic descriptions of angels? No. It's weird. It's not like an artist who like... Yeah, yeah, someone to... Def- yeah. It's like those biblically accurate... Yeah, but, they're not, but those are not what the angels look like. The point is the angels don't look like anything. Those are the imaginative representation that the prophets had of the angels, and you have to understand what that represents, what that means. Meant If they're described as a wheel, what does the wheel mean? If they're described as filled with eyes, what does that mean? If they're described as having straight legs, what does that mean? You skipped the sentence before. The soul and its powers, I give you an overview of that. Um, yeah. Then the prophet, the, the, the forms of presence of the angels, the creator, entering the concepts of the sheer coma. The sheer coma is a very controversial work. The sheer coma is a early, as their footnote says, is an early Kabbalistic text of the Hechalot literature. What are the Hechalot literature? So this is the idea of, of great rabbis and mystics using spiritual powers and meditative techniques to bring their souls to higher spiritual chambers called Hechalot in Hebrew and gaining an awareness of the angels and all sorts of interesting stuff. And this, there's works attributed to the Tanayim, the sages of the Mishnah, Rabbi Kiva most famously, um, where they describe their, their journeys of, through the you know, meditative spiritual realms. Um, it's weird stuff. I'll just give you my favorite quote. One of the quotes is, um, how tall is the creator? How tall is the, is the, is, is, how tall is the creator? The little, little Hebrew is Yetzir Bereshis, the former of creation, but how tall is the creator? Infinitely no. tall. He is... 236, 10,000 times 1,000 Persian miles tall. Persian miles. Persian miles. What's a Persian mile? I don't know. A parsing is a Persian mile. So there we go. 
Now, that's a weird thing to say, right? Yeah. Okay. So we'd have to explain what all that stuff means. Okay, now, the footnote says later on, the Rambam decided that this book is actually not an authentic rabbinic text mm-hmm. from the Tanaic material sources and decided that it was based on, you know, people mixing all sorts of, uh, of uh, Greek mystical traditions into uh, putting a, a Jewish flavor on it and decided the book should be banned as absolute heresy. But he originally thought that this, these books contain the secrets of understanding Jewish mysticism. I will point out that in Kabbalah, these books are considered to be 100% authentic. Um, so there is some debate as to when the Rambam later writes about how the sheer coma and such works are complete heresy and should be banned, um, should we take him at his word that he really changed his mind? Um, or is it that he just felt that these books are become too misunderstood and dangerous? There's debate about what he meant. But some really weird stuff out there, like discussions about how tall God is. Yeah. Um. Even 100 pages will not suffice to explain the concept. Even writing in a most concise form. Now, so, I have not done any of this stuff justice. Now, the Rambam did write another work called The Guide for the Perplexed, where, and he did there discuss prophecy at length. And there he says he wants to write another book outlining prophecy in great detail, and he promises to get to such a book and never did. To explain the analogies of the sages and prophecy and all these types of stuff, but he never did. Therefore, I will leave it for a more appropriate place. The book mentioning the sages, how is they tend to write and mention previously, or the book of prophecy that had begun writing? Um, yeah, we don't really have that stuff, unfortunately. Or another text that will explain these fundamental principles. Okay, so I'm not going to really go into all the background. I would like to. It's kind of relevant here. So we don't really understand what we're talking about. <laughs> To return to the seventh fundamental principle, <laughs> which we have to realize we don't really understand what we're talking about. There are four differences between the prophecy of Moshe and that of other prophets. So now he's going to be very concrete. There are four things that separate Moshe from all other prophets that all stem from this difference about how Moshe is not doing the same kind of thing that the other prophets are doing. In other words, what I want to point out is like this. When we say that Moshe was a prophet and we say that the other prophets were prophets, we're using the same word to refer to two totally different things. There's a general similarity, which is gaining knowledge by linking your intellect to what is beyond the physical realm. But beyond that, this may be not the best example to use it anyway. Um, There's two English words which I think are important to differentiate. One is meditation and the other is contemplation. You can, you know, quibble about which words you should use, but the reason why I'm saying this is false. What does it mean to contemplate something? What parts of your mind do you need to turn on and what parts of your mind do you need to turn off? Thinking part of your brain. To contemplate, you need to turn on or off? What? Turn on. Turn on, right? Let's be more specific. When we say thinking, we mean things like analysis. To break, if you're going to contemplate something, you need to analyze, you need to break it apart. Yeah, you need to be able to synthesize, put things back together in new ways, right? You need to be able to engage in metacognition, which means to think about the process of thinking, to navigate which tool you should use next. Should we, you know, re-examine, compare, contrast, right? When you're engaging in what I'm going to call meditation, even though that's a very broad thing, um, those parts of the mind need to be what? Turned off, right? And you need to engage into a more passive observation, right? Now, here's the thing. Two people can, like, sit there with their eyes closed doing some internal cognitive process and we'll call it all the same thing because from the, relative to speaking, running around, talking, getting emotional, it's all just kind of like 
inner cognitive awareness stuff, right? So you can, so you can see why someone might like, conflate the two and use the same name for both. But once you go into what's actually happening, they're very, very different. So it's a similar thing. When we say Moshe's a prophet and we say these other people are prophets, relative to all other ways of knowing, right? Seeing, hearing, sensory perception, thinking about things, right? In that sense, it's kind of all the same, right? But when you really zoom in, what you're seeing, what's happening with Moshe, what's happening with the other prophets is a totally different process altogether. And that difference is manifest in four distinct differences. A, God would speak to all their prophets by means of an intermediary, but he would speak to Moshe without an intermediary, as alluded to in the phrase, mouth to mouth I speak to him. So that's number one. Whatever truth he is getting is truth kind of directly, the truth that he's getting is directly derived from God into the consciousness of Moshe, no in-between steps. Makes him pretty fitting to give us the Torah. That does. Um, the Maharal of Prague says, when, why does the Mishnah say Moshe received the Torah? Whereas the rest of the phrases in the Mishnah say, and he passed it on to this person, he passed it on to that person. Because the fact that Moshe could receive the Torah is the novel idea. That, that one person passing on another person makes sense, but that anybody could really receive directly from Hashem, that's a hard thing to fathom. And so it was really something extraordinary. I think it goes on elaborates on that point. Yeah, and I guess that's what would make this so fundamental. Yes, this is, right, it's very fundamental. You see at this point, that means like the notion of an updated religion goes away just by definition. Because, well, because if, no, if Moshe is receiving directly from God with no intermediary, no right, then every, as you point out, everything else is derivative from Moshe. So there's no idea of overriding Moshe, well, the truth that Moshe has conveyed to us. Um, Unless Moshe gave us new information. Now, uh, what? Unless, like, we got new information from Moshe. Well, we did. Over, right? It wasn't in one shot. Judaism was over, given to us over 40 years. Uh-huh. It was updated by Moshe. But after Moshe, yeah, that was it. Uh-huh. Um, there's a little historical uh, um, jab here. Um, the, the Rambam lived in, primarily in Egypt. Which, um, and and Jared lived his whole life in Muslim countries. Um, it's not my job to teach comparative religion, but here I think it, it, it adds a little spice. Um, Islam is based on the idea that um, a man named Muhammad had a prophetic revelation, which is supposed to be the ultimate revelation. In the Islamic tradition, where did he receive his revelation from? Go on. The angel Gabriel. Mm. And so the Rambam, like, if you put that in, in context, what the Rambam is saying is like, even if we took what you guys are saying seriously... It, you know, we, we should revise our religion because whatever, right? Right, right, right. So there is, like, there is a little bit of like a jab against Islam in, in that. Um, and, and at the time it was well noticed. But wouldn't everything that comes from Gabriel come from Moshe? That's his point. So whatever, so that, that would be his point. So therefore, anything in Islam that would contradict, contradict. Judaism couldn't be real. And so therefore sure. it's just Judaism. And like, sure. yeah, yeah, that's a big, yeah. Anyway. All other prophets would receive their visions only, second thing, all the prophets would receive their visions only when asleep, as reflected in several verses. That mentions visions coming in a dream at night, when he dreamed, and a dream is in a vision at night, um, and there are many similar references. Alternatively, they would receive their visions by day after the prophet fell into a trance. In this state, his senses... 
and his thought became empty as during sleep. This state is called a vision or revelation reflecting the verse which describes the revelations of God. So other prophets, when they were experiencing the prophecy, so I mentioned, I mentioned how like, there's this kind of low level of prophecy, we sometimes call it Ruach HaKodesh, divine inspiration, that the prophet isn't actually consciously aware of. Here's the thing. In order for the prophet to be consciously aware of the truth being entering their intellect, the, intel- the consciousness becomes completely overwhelmed. They can't be aware of anything else. So that person either has to be asleep where all the other senses shut off or they have to be brought into such a state. Okay? So, um, which is why actually prophets were called in biblical times crazy people. Because when the prophet was experiencing prophecy, so say it the Lord! Oh my God. <laughs> right, it'd be like that. Because like, it, it just came over them. They couldn't like, it would be like that. Now imagine someone walking around doing that from time to time. <laughs> Would you, would, you, would you not call them crazy? Now you have to realize. Yeah, you have to realize, though, that when the prophet is having their, not having their prophecy, right, they have this excellent character, they're very wise, and, right, right, they're not come across as a crazy person, except when they're, when they're experiencing prophecy, because either they're experiencing when they're asleep or. And they enter in this like trance-like state where like they're not in control of themselves at all. Would they have to do like? Could they do anything to enter that state? For instance, like. Well, they had like to. Drugs we're gonna. We're gonna. So, drugs, no. Drugs. drugs, no. Okay, but they. They don't. It doesn't have to come on without any. Pre- we're gonna. We're gonna we're keep going. Keep. That. We're gonna keep going. Okay. To to Moshe, by contrast, prophecy would come during the day. While he was standing between the two cherubs, as God promised him, and I will commune with you there and speak to you. And God said to Miriam and Aaron, comparing their prophecy with Moshe, if one receives prophecy from God is in a dream or vision that I make myself known to him, I speak to him in a dream. This is not true about Moshe. If Moshe wanted to prophecy, he would go into the Holy of Holies, stand in front of the ark, and he would just make it clear what he needed to know, and God would make him know it. And that was that. And he would walk. That was the standard procedure. Yep. Oh, so he could make a choice to talk to God. That's going to be the, we're going to get that that's going to be that that's going to be the the fourth thing. Okay. 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 So he just could like remain fully conscious of everything like he, he his he he didn't have to enter this like non-functional state. See, mm-hmm. when another prophet would see prophecy despite the fact that it's through a vision and through the medium of an angel, his powers would become faint, he would collapse, he would become overcome with great fear as he was going to die, as if he were going to die. In other words, what is the psychological experience of prophecy? Not fun. Trauma. <laughs> Let's think about it. what is trauma, psychological not, trauma? Not fun. When you experience something. <laughs> yeah, but what makes something? Not everything is traumatic. For trauma? Yeah, not, like, like, no, not every, I mean, something everything is, not everything is traumatic. What makes something traumatic, psychologically? Oh. When the psyche as a whole cannot handle, cannot process it. And so what happens is, is that part of the, you, the psyche experiences something, part of the psyche tries to move on as if it never happened because it can't put it in, process it, frame it, but some other part of the person still is holding on to it. And so what does that do to the person? It kind of splits the person in two. It's like one of the like, common signs of like, someone who's suffering from post-traumatic dis- stress disorder is that they're reacting to things as if the trauma is happening, not based on what's happening right now. 
So a person can, in theory, experience the worst events in the world and not be traumatized, and a person can experience very minor things and be traumatized. It has nothing to do with how horrific it actually is. Um, which is why like, certain things actually help for trauma. Like if a bunch of people have experienced the same thing together and share their experiences, seeing as how our psyches are socially focused, events become less traumatic. Um, anyway, just, so, but now what happens when the, pro- the prophet is, their intellect is being, having this truth just Im- beamed into it, imposed into it in a way, and the rest of their psyche is, is, is set up to handle that? So if, 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 if there's this sense of dread, it's like, it's like, like, like you're being erased. Mm-hmm. That's what it's like. Mm-hmm. You're being erased and the truth is replacing you. It's, it's, it's intense. As Daniel stated when the angel Gabriel spoke to him in a vision, no strength remained within me. My, my appearance was ravaged. I could not retain my strength. I was in a deep sleep, flat on my face, with my face on the ground. And it says, because of the vision, it was if labor pains had come upon me, right? The analogy is like a woman in childbirth. This is not true about Moshe. <laughs> God's word would come to him and he would not be daunted at all. This alluded in the verse, and God spoke to Moshe face to face. A person would speak to his friend. Just as a person not feel trembling when speaking to a friend, so Moshe was not at all, at all in dread of the divine word. It was communing face to face. This is because of the powerful bond with the active intellect we explained elsewhere. He was so tuned in that for him, to the truth to come into his mind was like normal. It's like meeting your best friend for coffee. That's right. Yeah. Um, and finally, D, none of the other prophets could receive a vision at will, but only when God desired. There were prophets who made several years without receiving a vision. There were times when a prophet would seek a vision, but would not be, it would be days or months before it would come. And at times it would not come at all. Similarly, we see that the prophets would prepare themselves by making their hearts joyful and refining their thoughts, as did Elisha's written, now bring a minstrel for me, right? You play some music, puts me in a better mood, I'm able to, because remember, the, the prophet has to align their mind with these truths and have their, be in that positive state. Now, the best way to think about this is, if you want to get struck by lightning, what should you do? I don't recommend it, but if you did. Oh, the top of a building in a rainstorm no, with a pool, that's what I did. Climb a tree. Well, that's right. Right. Oh, go into the middle of an empty field. Go in the middle of an empty field or go someplace. Or the highest building with a pool. Right. And maybe hold something metallic. Hold an umbrella. Yeah. A pitchfork. Okay, right. Now, here's the thing. Can any of these things guarantee that you're going to be struck by lightning? No. But if you don't do these things, like if you stay inside in the basement, you're never going to get struck by lightning. No chance. Right? So, it's like this. All of the stuff that the prophet does... Even though, it's, even though they're using their abilities, whether or not their mind actually merges with that higher level is ultimately up to God. Yeah. And actually, the experience of prophecy, the realm compares it to being struck by lightning, actually. But not for Moshe. Okay, actually he does. He says it's like, imagine, he says, imagine being struck, imagine, not being, he's, he says not being struck by lightning. Imagine, he says, the, you know when like, it's really dark at night and there's this there's the really powerful thunderstorms mm-hmm. and there's that really bright flash of lightning and you can see so clearly everything yeah. mm-hmm. but then it's gone uh-huh. and what's left is like this image that's in yeah yeah that's what like, prophecy is like for a regular prophet uh-huh. what's it like for Moshe just like nothing the lights on no it's not like the lights on imagine that brilliant flash of light but before it starts to fade, another flash of lightning comes. And before it starts to fade, another flash of lightning comes. So it's like a movie that like, it keeps going with... with so there, 
Right. So you have to have that ability to like handle that like almost flickeriness, but it's constant. It doesn't have that like casualness of like daylight. There isn't kind of intensity, but you can handle it. And it's much more vivid than daylight. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's the Ram describes it in another text like that. Um, so, so everyone else, what they would do, they repair themselves, and then what would happen? Maybe it would occur, maybe it would not occur. Just want to finish the read. This is not necessarily true that whenever a prophet prepared himself, he received prophecy. Okay? Um, I want to just finish this point, and then I'll let you guys ask some questions. Concerning Moshe, a teacher by contrast, he prophesies whenever he desired, as reflected by his statement, stand and I will let you know what God commands you. Yeah? People had a question, like, one second, let me go check with the boss. And he goes and he... Let's know. And on the verse, tell Aaron, do not enter the holy chamber at all times. Our sages commented, Aaron was not to enter the chamber at all times, the holy of holies. Moshe was not so enjoined. He could go whenever he wanted. Whenever Moshe felt that he needed to get some truth from God, he just went into the holy of holies and um, he came out knowing the things that he needed to know. It's a whole different way of living life, isn't it? Okay. Um, I mentioned that Hashem rebuked Moshe's siblings, Aaron and Miriam, for speaking about him. Do you know how he rebuked them? He granted them prophecy. He told them to assemble in the, in the, in the tabernacle. Right? They, got a, they got a prophetic calling to come to the tabernacle. They got this prophetic calling in the middle of being intimate with their spouses. With Moshe then. Thus explaining to them why Moshe, because Moshe was having ongoing prophecies all the time, why Moshe could not live a normal married life. <laughs> you prepare yourself and bring yourself to the right state and then maybe I grant you prophecies. It's not just like out of the blue, I want to talk to you and I just let you know. But like, it's a whole different kind of like, okay. yeah. They're like, see, you can't do Yeah, yeah. And the contrast between being in such an embodied activity and then all of a sudden having that prophetic yeah. consciousness was doubly traumatic for them. Yeah. And God's like, see what I mean? You're not the same as Moshe. So he never got married. No, no, no. Moshe had children with Zipporah before he came to Egypt. And then once he, once he came down to Egypt to redeem the Jewish people, um, he, he was without Zipporah um, until they came back. And then um, Yisro, his father-in-law, brought them before or after giving Torah, depending on which version of the story, there's different ways of reading the text. Um, but Moshe had this prophetic state and you know, moved out, and so the rest of the 40 years he lived alone with God. All the time. All the time. It's a whole different kind of being. He was, so they were like the ultimate Yeah. Okay. You can't escape. What? He was always in a state of prophecy? He was, so the thing is, the, there was there was a there was a um, there was a because prophecy is different levels. There was always a kind of like a baseline level that he could just turn to God, or he was always a, or or he was always ready for God to call him. So, like the first verse of the chat of the book of Leviticus starts out with the phrase Vayikra, which is Moshe, which is God prophetically calling Moshe to come to the tent of the meeting to receive full prophecy. And that would just like happen. Like Moshe would be doing his laundry and all of a sudden, oh, God wants to tell me something. Go to the temple and hear the prophecy. Or I want to know something. Just enter the temple. It's, so he's always got to be on and ready. That's right. He he's a beeper. And so, right. And he can always get it. When, and he can also go in whenever he wants right. too. But that's why he wasn't able to have a wife because he was always distracted? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, you 
Um, yeah. It's like if you have a close relationship with someone and you both have cell phones, you're kind of always available for each other. Okay. Makes it hard to focus on anything else. Okay, that's why people put their cell phones on silent. But if you can't, yeah. Because fearing God has to do with an existential awareness of your smallness relative to God, that you are a creation and he is the creator, and you are just not on equal footing. That's not the same thing as being overwhelmed because you can't handle something. You see those are two different things? Um, yeah. Like you, can be, you can be in awe and in submission without being traumatized. Put it another way. What else? Any... It's a lot about Moshe, right? Yeah. yeah. It's cool. It's cool. Uh, it's like, like, it is, but I'm also like, that's a lot. Like, I feel like that's just like an intense amount of stuff to have on one person. It is. Makes it more It, it, it is very, it's a lot of stuff, yeah. I mean, you know, maybe it's a little more understandable when God says, you know, I want you to be, you know, the redeemer and, you know, the one that conveys the Torah to the people. Moshe's like, um, are you, I mean, there's other people, there's other people. There's Aaron, my brother, he's older, he's righteous, he's a good guy. <laughs> yeah. How does this interact with Moshe So there's a lot of discussion about this. I, I will give you a very simple explanation. Like kind of like, there's a lot of complexity, there's a lot to talk about, but a very simple explanation. Um, what does it mean to be humble on a very basic level? That's, I mean, that may make you humble or may be a result of being humble, but that isn't what humility actually is. It's actually very hard. I find this interesting that very often you ask people what humility is, they have a hard time describing like, the actual like, quality of humility itself. Not bragging. What? Not bragging. No, that's just called being like, you know, having good manners. Yeah. Most, most people who are good manners, even if they're extremely arrogant, don't go around bragging. It's uncouth. Who is the most interesting and significant character in the movie playing in your head? Yourself. <laughs> no, you're not your grandmother. No, I swear. It's always in my head, like, screaming at me in Russian. That, I'm sure she's screaming at you in Russian. She probably, she probably if, you're, if you, what's going on in your head was a movie, she would probably get the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor. But supporting actor. Because the protagonist of the story is... You. Your grandma. <laughs> no, seriously, like, oh, right? No, no, no. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I think we, I think we found an example of Freud's super ego. <laughs> okay. Um, the more humble you are, the less that's true. The more humble you are, you just experience life as you're just another of the people. Like you actually experience it that way. Okay. So, if there are three cookies, 
and there are five people. Two people don't get a cookie. Two people don't get a cookie. Let's assume the cookies can't be split. If you are a, if you, the, the more humble you are, the more it's just obvious that it's not auto-given that you should get a cookie. Now, I want to be clear about this. There's a totally different thing which is called self-loathing, which is you think you shouldn't get a cookie because you're such a bad person. That's not what I mean. Like, like, I mean, obviously two people aren't getting cookies. Like, there's no, there's no reason in your mind why you should not be one of those people. That's very different from not being the main character in your own It life. is the same thing because they come to the same thing that you don't have this, this focus on yourself. But I feel like there is a range of that. Like, there is a range of humility. That's why it's a quality. It's not something you either are or you're not. For instance, generally speaking, when people become parents, they become humbler to some degree. You know why? They really are not the main character. There are other people who have like real significance and like they start to feel like they're just like, it's not really so much about me and everything. Yeah. Now there are degrees and shades and forms of this. If you are humble and you are the smartest person in the room, assuming you're in a room full of other reasonably smart people, you will not assume or think that you're the smartest person in the room. You're also gonna think you're the dumbest person in the room. You're gonna think you're probably somewhere around regular. Because why, why wouldn't I be like everybody else? Now, if you're the smartest person in the room of kindergartners, and you're like an, an adult, like you're not gonna think that you're a kindergarten, you're not stupid, right? You're not lacking basic self-awareness, okay? A humble person like doesn't, they don't, now, to the degree to which you're humble, the question of what made you humble, are you intrinsically humble, do you have to get yourself to be humble? But to the degree to which you're humble, you don't think very highly of yourself, you don't think very lowly of yourself, you just don't spend a lot of time thinking about yourself at all. And even, in the, even through the lens of the voice of your grandmother. Because there's like, yeah, there's a whole world. And the truth is not centered around me. And, you know, my, 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 my life is not incredibly more significant than someone else. Do you want a really like, strong example of humility? There's a halacha, a code of Jewish law that says, that you're not allowed to kill someone to save your own life. You know that? Someone puts a gun in your hand and says, you kill that person, I'm going to kill you. What's the law? You have to allow yourself to be killed. Why? That's right. In the words of the Talmud, what makes your blood redder than that? Okay, now here's the thing. I think we can all logically understand that idea. A humble person, the more humble you are, the more you feel that. Okay, now again, it comes in range. So now, could you be the the loftiest, most successful person and still be humble? Sure. Like, those aren't contradictory, right? Moshe, does Moshe think that he is somehow intrinsically more important than anybody else? No. And is he, is he foolish enough to think that he and us are functionally on the same level? No. No. But without Moshe, we wouldn't have gotten the Torah. That's true. So, he's very important for us. Right, but the importance has not... So then he can go one step further and say, okay... And, and uh, oh, oh, oh. There's, a, there's a great story with, with Reb Zushev Anapoli, who was one of the great Hasidic masters. And he, uh, he's, he's known for a very famous thing. And then there's a less famous thing that puts the famous thing in context. So I'll say the famous thing first. As he was dying, he was very distraught. And his disciples asked him, why are you so distraught? And he said, when I get to heaven, I'm not afraid when they ask me why I wasn't like Avraham. 
Because I'll just tell them I wasn't Avram. Why weren't you like Moshe? I'll tell them I wasn't Moshe. And, um, when they ask me why I wasn't like Rabbi Akiva, I'll just tell them I wasn't Rabbi Akiva. These great, great leaders, great sages, great, great righteous people. But when they ask me, Zusha, why weren't you Zusha? What am I going to respond? People love this story. I mean, it's a heavy story, but they love the story, right? So self-affirming, you have to be true to yourself, and blah, blah, blah. You hear the sarcasm in my voice, yes? Okay, good. There's, there's, a, there's, a follow, there's, a, there's, a, there's a background to this. He used to ask his disciples from time to time, and you can only do this once. If God gave you the option of being Avraham, Avraham Avinu, Abraham, the first Jew, or being yourself, which would you pick? Now, you would get to really be Avraham. You would have all of the, you know, everything. You, you, you would get to be Avram fully as totally like, or would you rather be yourself? I think I would say like, God would say, why weren't you yourself? No, 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 just, just take this question on its own. So someone want to answer the question? Yourself? You prefer to be yourself. Okay. That's a legitimate answer, right? I think that makes sense. Does anyone think the other answer? Anyone prefer to be Avram? Direct experience of God. What? Nice tent. Nice tent. <laughs> Be immemorialized for all time. You know. It's a lot of cool stuff. Okay. I don't believe, I think some of you probably would prefer to be Avram, but you're just embarrassed. So you know what Rabbi would then tell his disciples? I don't understand the question. At the end of the day, God still ends up with one Zushu and one Avraham. What difference does it make? That's real humility. There needs to be a Zusha. There needs to be an Avro. There needs to be a Rabbi Kaufman. There needs to be a Moshe Rabbeinu. It happens to be. God made me that. made me do that, right? But that, like, we're all, like... So if it, it, you don't have the sense that you are somehow the center and the, the value lies with you. Moshe understands he plays a unique role that no human being ever played or ever will play. He understands that. <laughs> but someone else could have played that. Like, like, God could have created someone else and he could have been the other person. Right? Yeah. Hasidus then takes it so far to say, okay, when... When, when, Avraham, when, when Moshe stood in front of Paro, he had the sense that it could just have easily as been that he would have been the Paro and Paro would have been the Moshe, right? Yeah. What, like, it's not automatic that his stream of consciousness is there. Mm-hmm. So like, it, now you could do meditations to bring yourself to that awareness. You could have that innately. There's different levels, different forms. But that's what humility is. Humility is not, it's just, you're not looking at the world, at your life, at your own experience, at anything through the lens of you being the center, you being the most interesting thing, you being the center of value, you having the spotlight being on you. It doesn't mean you lack awareness. But again, things that are subtle, if there's no good reason to like spend time thinking about what makes you better or worse than other people, you won't. But if it's obvious or it's necessary, you would. Some people are very humble. Some people are not. By the way, you could be a very good person and not be humble. You just have to work on you know, acquiring the trait. By the way, um, sometimes humility can be a problem. Every trait can be a problem. If your humility is too natural, then you might end up, because any natural trait can end up um, spilling out when it doesn't belong. There was a very famous uh, rabbi named Rabbi Steinsaltz. Um, uh, he was a very, very unique person. He translated the entire Talmud before Art Scroll did. He, he was the youngest principal in Israel. He won the Israel Prize. He was a, profe- he was a professional physicist, uh, a Hasidic teacher, like, you know, jack of all trades and master of most. Um, very independent 
person. Um, so there was a there was a a Tanya class that was given to like the Israeli elite um, of like the government and the intellectuals in the early days of the state of Israel in the 50s and 60s. And when the, the elder Hasid who was giving this class, most of these people were not religious. Some of them were very anti-religious, but they, they, were, they were deep people. So um, when this class, the elder Hasid was no longer able to give it, um, Rabbi Steinzaltz, who was, I think, maybe 21 or something, was given the task of doing it. <laughs> Um, so there's a letter of the Rebbe to Rabbi, uh, a letter of the Rebbe to um, President Shazar, who was the president of Israel, who the Rebbe was very close with. Um, and one of the things he says, he says in this letter about him, is that his biggest flaw is his humility. And because he's humble, he doesn't recognize how uniquely talented he is, uniquely gifted he is, and how much influence he can have. I'm, I'm, I'm elaborating. The Rebbe says he's more impressive, after meeting, he's more impressive than I was led to believe, and his biggest problem is his humility. Most of us don't have that problem, but some people really do. Some people, like the humility, like, because it's not in their face, the, the difference, if they're humble, they don't go looking for the difference and realize that they're uniquely qualified to do something. Okay. But if they're doing all the same things they would do if they knew how great they were. Well, this was when he was younger. I mean, as he got older, he started doing more and 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 more. But yeah, it's, it's something that... You're saying because they, they won't do as much as they could do because they don't realize something. If you're humble and the humble is na- humility is natural, so then you are your your tendency is not to notice the, the uniqueness that you have. And if your uniqueness therefore is not thrust in your face, it will go unnoticed. And if it goes unnoticed, it will go unused. Mm-hmm. But what a humility that you build yourself wouldn't have that problem. Like you would be able to realize all the uniqueness that you have yeah. and just realize that that's yeah. what a humility, so there's an advantage to humility with yourself. The disadvantage is that it's somewhat artificial. It's resting on a fundamental layer of lack of humility. So there's advantages both ways. It's not like, and that's true, by the way, every trait. If you're naturally compassionate, you end up being compassionate when it's inappropriate. But if your compassion is cognitive, right, there's something artificial about it. This is just the issue of being human. It's a human problem. We all have this. Um, so if you can kind of bring those two things together, it's good. Okay, so yeah, like, and they, that helps us understand why Moshe was reluctant to, you know, when God call, calls upon him the first time, he's reluctant to take the job. It's like hard for him to realize how unique he is at the beginning. I mean, eventually it becomes kind of obvious, right? You and you alone are chosen by God. You and you alone go up on the mountain. You and you alone bring down the tablets, right? It's kind of clear that you're not in the same league as everybody else. He could never, I don't know if you said this well, but he could never have known that because no one would have shown him that. He can't compare right. that to anyone else. So right, determined. right. So it could be that at the beginning he wouldn't be aware that he has this special quality, and God has to kind of like force it out of him, which kind of is what happens in the story. Um, but eventually, that doesn't mean that when he looks at other people, he feels superior to them in any way. Like he, he doesn't feel superior in, the, in his being remotely. Um, and it does say that Moshe had this quality greater than any person ever in the past and ever in the future. So. One way of being humble? I'll, I'll give you two ways of being humble. One is to recognize that you are not utilizing all of your abilities the way other people are using their abilities. Okay? And together with that, you can also reflect on the fact that you are 
you are not working as hard as God expects other people to work. Both of those have a very humbling effect on a person. Um, someone once came to the Rebbe. There's a Hasidic custom to learn a tractate every year, and someone came to the Rebbe and said that he's getting to the end of the year and he hasn't, doesn't think he's going to finish the tractate. And he was learning it with just Rashi's commentary, which is kind of like a very basic level. And the Rebbe says, well, you can just suffice with the Rashi and the Tosfos and the Marsha, which is like a very thorough level of learning. It's like in a whole order of magnitude more difficult. And uh, it was very humbling because what does that mean? That means that the Rebbe's assumption was that he was learning in much deeper than even that. Like that's lower to that level. That was above what he was expecting himself. When you hear things like that about you, when you think of yourself, it's very humbling. Uh, another thing, the, another thing is, um, another thing is to real think about the role that you play in other people's lives rather than the role they play in your life. Like, how much time have you reflected on the fact that what does it mean that to your mother that you're her daughter, rather than what does it mean to you that she's your mother? Right? When you get married, how much time you reflect on the fact that what does it mean to your husband that you're his wife, rather than how much it means to you that he's your husband. Same thing with your children. To, you know, to flip that around in your mind. Those are two kind of practical cognitive things you can do. And of course, there's acting humble, right? The actual, like, sp- training yourself to speak and act in ways the way a humble person would do so. That's obvious. goes without saying. But those are two meditative things you could do. Is your mind kind of like it seems? Yes. Yes. That's essentially what it is. It's weird. Because the word, the word, the word, the word, sneas is actually... Or, or, actually is used in the prophets to refer to this quality that God only, the prophet Micha says, God only asks three things of you. You can reduce Judaism to three general principles. Um, love kindness, which means genuinely care about other people's well-being. Ases um, mishpat, do justice, which means keep the law, don't bend the law, don't break the law, even when you feel compassionate, because our intention with each other, by the way. And walk modestly with your God. And our sages say, what does it mean to walk modestly with your God? That even the mitzvahs which are generally done privately, sorry, the mitzvahs that are generally done publicly should be done in a way that, that it's not ostentatious. So when you make a wedding or make a funeral, don't celebrate in a way that detracts from an awareness of God being the center of it. And if that's true about public things, all the more so about private things like giving tzedakah should be done in a way where you're not emphasizing how generous and kind you are and how much a person's beholden to you, but in a way that the person's getting the help they need and you're not really the main focus there. And then you take that to the concept of like modesty within the realm of like, you know, how people dress and how people behave in the more those kinds of areas. But yeah, that's an example. Which is why it's a key element of Judaism, right? A person who is not humble is not in the presence of God. A person who's not modest, not in the presence of God. Yeah. It's the same. To be tznuah is to be humble. To be humble is to be tznuah. It's the same thing. A very basic level. So a humble, a humble person, the main character in their mind is God? Um, it depends. A, a religious person, the main character is God. Yeah. A non-religious person, I don't know that they would have a main character because nobody deserves to be the main character because there's no like inherently more, more important being than anybody else. But if you're religious, because there are people who are entirely secular in their mindset and are humble. It, it's a natural trait that some people have much more of. Um, but I don't know that they have a main character. Maybe the community has become the main character or something, the main focus, something like that. I don't know. What's your favorite 
Or the reverse. No. Maybe Moshe maybe Moshe was very humble, thus allowing him to be in the presence of Hashem all the time. Yep. All right. Tomorrow's questions and answers. What? Oh, no. Yeah. What do you mean?